0: Well, to the teaching, when I was a boy, I've got another boyhood story for you. Uh, when I was a boy, about five years old or so, uh, we grew up. I grew up in a house that doesn't exist where the blood bank sits at uh, 8th and Lane. Second house used to be there from the corners where I was until I was about six years old, 1963. And uh, great old house, loved being there. In the backyard, we had a pine tree that's just about like the one right out in front of the school here. And it grew up next to the house, Z, and my brother Pat and I loved to climb that tree. And one day we were high in the branches of that tree. And a gal that was working at our house, helping my mom with uh, cleaning, I think at that point we were probably eight, nine, ten kids or so, Can't you know, moderate size family. And my mom did have some help once in a while that would come in and help with the house. But uh, the gal came out the back door. And she looks around, and then she calls for Pat and Mike. And we're up in the top of the tree, and we see her down there. And, and we think it's kind of funny because we're above her. And, of course, she's not looking up. She doesn't know where we're at. So she's calling our names, calling our names, calling our names, looking around. And, you know, Pat and Mike, we're up in the tree sniggering away, you know, secret quiet delight because uh, that's little guys, you know, little boys. We're up here. She can't see us, and ha, ha, ha. She gives up, of course, and goes back inside. We're having a great time. The joke's on her, right? Of course, the reason she'd come out to call us was because our lunch had been prepared. And we didn't know that. We found that out later, you know, after the stuff's all put back. So we ignore her calls to us by name to come down to sit at the table that was set for us to enjoy the, the lunch Mom had prepared to hang out with Mom and the other kids. So we thought that the joke was on her, but really the joke was on us. We, we ignored that call at our loss. And that's, a, that's not the greatest introduction, but sort of the point to the, the Scripture text this morning is this. Christianity is in large part, it's God's calling, and then we have the opportunity to answer. Sometimes it's God's commanding, giving us the opportunity to obey. And we ignore God's call at our loss because God invites us to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And in that participation, we're blessed. And we have fellowship with God that we wouldn't otherwise. And we get to turn around typically and God uses us to become a blessing to others as well. So to cue in this morning on the text will be in God calls and gives us the opportunity to answer and therein participate with the things God's doing in the earth for our blessing and for others as well. We're only going to look at two verses specifically this morning out of Genesis 12, but I'll read verses 1 through 5. We're we're only going to spend time specifically in 4 and 5, but if you've got a Bible, that's where we'll be. We looked at the first three verses a couple of weeks back. This was the introduction of God to Abram and Abram's call. It says in Genesis 12, 1, The Lord, or Yahweh, the name Israel knew God by covenant with. Now Yahweh said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. Make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all families of the earth will be blessed. Verse 4, So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Back to verses 1 through 3, very quickly. God calls Abram to leave everyone and everything he knows and take out for some place, God will show him, but otherwise of which Abram knows absolutely nothing. Abram, leave everything, everyone you know, and take off. And I'll show you the place. Verse 4 and 5 Abe answers the call, he uproots himself, his entire large household, and he heads to the land of Canaan. So God calls, and Abram answers. God commands, and Abram obeys. And that's really what these two verses are all about. Now, these two short verses have enough detail in them that I think God wants to communicate a few things to us very clearly. The first, in verse 4, Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken. So in verse 1, God says, go forth. And in verse 4, Abram went forth. It's the same Hebrew word. God says, you do this. And the text says, basically, Abram did it. You do it. Abram does it. The second thing in verse 4 is this. The text tells us here that Abram was 75 years old. I wonder why. Abram is 75 years old. He's older than maybe everybody in this room. He's 10 years past retirement age. And at 75 years old, God knocks on his door and says, Abe, I've got a job for you. And I think the reason we're told this is this. If Abram wanted to make an excuse for not answering God's call, this would be a good one. Lord, thanks, but I'm too old. I would love to have taken you up on this 10 years earlier, 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier, but you know I'm an old guy now. And you should have got me earlier. I can't, can't follow through, sorry, you know, call somebody else. He's 75 years old when he gets the call. And, of course, age becomes one of the issues in the rest of the story of Abram as well. But God calls an old man. He's going to start a new work, and he calls an old man to do it. And if Abe wanted an excuse for not answering God's call, this would have been the best one. Lord, I'm too old. So God lets us know. He didn't call a young guy. He didn't call a young single guy. He called an old guy with a lot of family, which gets into verse 5. When Abe leaves, it tells us he took his wife. He took Lot, his nephew. Now, there's sometimes confusion around this. When God tells him to leave, he says, Leave all your father's house. Uh, Lot's your nephew. What's the deal? He's part of your father's household, sort of. There's a variety of understandings on why Lot comes along. One is that he's still young enough at this point that he, Abram is his legal guardian, we might say. He's his legal guardian. He's responsible for him. He comes along as a member of his own household. Some people say, no, Lot freely elected, like Abram's servants, to go with Abram to this new land. And I forget the third now. Anyway, but Lot goes with him. Household and Lot, all their possessions, all their servants... They set out for Canaan, and they arrive in Canaan. So two verses make it clear. Abram hears God's command, and he obeys fully. Now, I find it interesting, too, what the story does not say. Some of the elements that are not part of this record. It doesn't say anything about Abram hesitating to obey. I mean, if somebody told you today to pick up your life, to leave everyone and everything you know, wouldn't wouldn't you be going through some gymnastics in your own mind about what that's going to cost, what that looks like? Do I really want to do that? There's absolutely no record of hesitation on Abram's part. And there's no questioning. It just says, God says, you do this, and it says, Abram did that. God spoke, and Abram obeyed. And it doesn't say anything about Abram hedging his bets... You know, if you start a new venture, um, it's often why, sometimes it would be foolish not to, to have something in reserve so that if that venture fails, you're not sort of out entirely, but you've got something in reserve. So if I'm starting a new business, I take some funds and I invest in my business, but I keep my savings account. So if the business venture fails, I've got this thing to fall back on. Well, see... Abram doesn't leave himself anything to fall back on. He doesn't keep a summer home in Haran. He doesn't leave sort of contingency there that's going to keep some of his stuff and keep it going. He is totally committed to this trip. He takes everyone and everything with him. So there is no plan B. There is nothing to go back to. So when God tells him to do something, we could say, in a sense, he throws himself with reckless abandon into doing what God told him to do. No plan B, no contingency, nothing to go back to. He's totally sold out, totally committed. Takes everyone and everything he has. You know, we're planning a trip for the girls in a little bit. Moving's a big deal. Can you imagine? They're walking by foot hundreds of miles with women and children and animals and herds And this is dangerous, too. This doesn't even bring it out. But later, when the Jews return from the Middle East to the land of promise, they're worried about being hit up on the way, about being attacked. Abram would have faced these same difficulties and challenges, none of which is brought up here. It just says he goes and he does it. Pulls up everyone, everything, and he goes and he does it. God said go, and Abraham went. Um, You know, the United States is mostly a nation of immigrants, Uh, probably very few, if any, Native Americans among us here. And, of course, they probably weren't here originally either. But uh, we're a nation of immigrants. Uh, My grandparents uh, immigrated from Ireland in uh, 1919. And Kathy's uh, grandmother immigrated around 1906. Bob, you correct me if I get any of these wrong, any of these details wrong. Kathy's grandmother immigrated from Poland around 1906 when she was barely, maybe, 16 years old. She really wanted to come to America. And I'm told that she dreaded the trip over. It was by boat in those days, sometimes not the best conditions. And the trip was so hard and so grueling that once she got here, she said she's never going back. She really wanted to get here. She got here and she she said, I I, I won't ever do that again. And while she was here, she met John Coper, who was a Pole, who as it happened, had come from a village very near hers in Poland. And they met, fell in love, and got married, had 13 children. Now, <clears throat> depending on how you frame the story, it all sounds good or it's very challenging. Of course, the truth is it's some of both. Um, Barbara Eleanor Mischlach never went to Poland again, never saw her parents again, never saw those siblings again. She left everything she knew, everyone she knew. But she did marry, she did have a husband and had children. But along the way there too, her husband died young, left her with a passel of kids on a farm that she couldn't keep afterwards, had to move into St. Louis during the Great Depression, and only seven of her 13 children survived to adulthood. So on one hand, a really, really tough go. But on the other, I'm convinced she was blessed because she made the journey. And she blessed her children because she made the journey. And that sense of blessing goes on today. My wife is her granddaughter. And we were talking on the way here with Steve. You know, it's funny how one thing leads to another. You can never predict before time. But one thing leads to another. You never know where a thing will go. But a little, very short, little Polish woman came to the United States, you know, more than a century ago. And there was blessing for her in that, blessing for her descendants as well counting the cost, leaving everything, everyone behind to start a new life in a new world. No small thing. A story many people have heard, I know, and I just want to repeat this morning, has to do with Apple Computer. I think it was 1983 or maybe 84. Apple Computer was still sort of the new kid on the block in computers as far as getting market share. And Steve Jobs, who was one of the co-creators of Apple Computer, went to uh, John Scully. He wanted to recruit him to come to Apple Computer to sort of help them mainstream, to sort of get into, in a bigger way, get into the market. And the famous quote from that interview was, Jobs asked Scully, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? Now, that's a great quote, of course, and you've probably heard it many times. But, you know, Scully, it's not as if he didn't have it Pretty good when Jobs comes up to him. He was the youngest president ever of PepsiCo, a little corporation named PepsiCo. So the thing about sugar water, it's a slight, but of course they sell all kinds of food. They, they own Googles of stuff. And it was under Scully that if you're old enough to remember the, the Pepsi Coke challenge ad, that was Scully. And, and PepsiCo's profit and shares, they rose dramatically under his leadership, which is why Steve Jobs went to him. But that was the challenge. Do you want to sell sell sugared water for the rest of your life or do you want to help change the world? Do you want a chance to change the world? And Scully jumped ship from PepsiCo to Apple. And again, he was there about 10 years. And it was a rocky 10 years. Uh, Also during this 10 years, uh, Steve Jobs lost his job at the company he founded with uh, Scully being part of that process along with the board. But they had brought Scully in to improve Apple's market share. And they went from about 800 million sales to about 8 billion sales under his leadership. He hears this call. He's doing well. He's making tons of money. He's highly successful. It's not like he's a poor boy being given a chance to move up. He's a very successful guy. But he's given a call, an opportunity for, to move from one sphere of life and influence to another, and he took it, and he did. And he really was part of changing the world and the way people interact with each other. That still goes on today in Apple products. But he heard a call. He answered it. It cost him, in one sense, everything that he left behind with PepsiCo and that security to jump on board with Apple and do something that was more significant in the long run. Abram left everything. He had no options he left behind. He sort of sold the farm. He was totally committed, and he went to the new land. God called, and he answered. For the Christian, hearing God's call and answering or responding to that is at the essence of the life we're called to. Um, this gets a little touchy-feely or a little subjective when you start talking about this or trying to refine or define this too, too narrowly. Um, I don't know what it was like for Abram to hear God. Was it an audible voice? Was it an appearance? Later in the, in the story, a story, God appears to him. Did he appear to him? We don't know. And so if you start talking about God called me to do something, you know, if you want to know what did that look like, what did it sound like, how do you know it was God? And even with sort of those difficulties built in, I'm convinced that the essence of the Christian life is hearing God's call and answering, that God is the initiator in what we do and where we go and who we interact with, and that's our responsibility like a child to a parent to hear what our parent says and to answer, to hear the lunch bell, the lunch call, and to answer, to hear the command, and then to obey. That's at the essence. That's the foundation of the life of a Christian. Sometimes God may speak into your life very, very clearly, clear as a bell, where you know God spoke, there's no ambiguity, there's no question, I know God spoke. The truth is probably, more often than not, when God speaks, when we get that call, it's not as clear as Abram's. You might need to pray about it for a while. You may need to bounce it off other people and say, I think this is what God wants me to do. But at the end of the day, when you know God has called... You need to answer. When God commands, we need to obey. That's the very foundation of the life of a Christian. The very foundation. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says this, Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. If you don't have a relationship with God based on faith, you have nothing. And for us to hear God's call and do anything other than answer and respond means we don't believe him. We don't have faith. Or maybe like the guy in Mark's gospel, we don't have enough faith. I believe, help my unbelief. But think of this. Uh, God can't lie. He's the source of all goodness. His relationship with those that he knows is characterized by loyal love or loving kindness. He'll never let you down. So for us not to have faith in him is to say that we sort of don't know the very fundamental or foundational issues or character of God himself. That the life of faith, of hearing God's call and responding, it acknowledges that we know something, at least a little, about who God is, what he's like, and that he's worthy of us following Him, that we can't go wrong when we answer His call, that we can't go wrong when we obey Him. That's the very best thing we can do. It honors God, but it's also good for us. It's the path of blessing for us. Not necessarily blessing without difficulties, but the path of blessing for us and then the ability for us to be part of God blessing others as well. So in that same Hebrews passage, after it talks about Noah... It takes Father Abraham in verse 8 and says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, he went out not knowing where he was going. God called, Abraham answered. God commanded, Abe obeyed. He obeyed fully, immediately, and he left no contingency plans. Now, let me, let me quickly add here this too. <clears throat> Abraham's called from one country to another. And these examples are of people getting up and leaving someplace or leaving other people, that God's call requires them to get up and leave. And sometimes that's the requirement. God says, go, and we've got to go. But you know, maybe more often than not, a lot of times, for most of us, maybe, God's call is to stay right where we're at. This doesn't sound as exciting, by the way. Stay where you're at. My call to you is to stay where you're at. Uh, When Kathy and I moved back to Topeka in 1980, she moved back from Lawrence. I moved back from the Northwest. And when we got married, my plan was to save money. We'd spent what little we had was gone by the time I got back. We were going to save our money, and we were going to move back to the Northwest where Mike wanted to be. I'd heard the call of the wild, the Rocky Mountains. That's where I wanted to live. No place else. Topeka was the last place on earth, literally, I wanted to be. But I had to come back to get married. So we get married in July of 1980. And in May of 1981, we have our first child. And I don't have much of a job. We've got very little money. We can't afford to do what I wanted to do, which was to leave and to go back to Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, okay, Washington. Yeah, all good. Not Topeka. Not Topeka. And in that next year, 1981, we became part of a small church fellowship that was great. It was like heaven on earth. And one day while praying, I, I needed this sense of call. Lord, is this where you want us? And one day God made it very, very clear to me during worship in that church that that was exactly where he was planting me and my family. Absolutely as clear as if God spoke to me straight from the Scripture, like Abram here. I knew God had said, this is where you're, you're at. Well, on one hand, that was comforting. But on the other, it's really not what I wanted. Because basically, it was might give up your dreams and your plans for living where you wanted to be, doing the things you wanted to do. This is where I want you. And for me, God's call has been Psalm 37, verse 3, most of my life. And Psalm 37, verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. This is almost 30 years later. I'm still in Topeka. I can't believe it. And God's call has been to stay here and to invest in the people he's plugged us in with. In Sunday school, we were talking about the beginnings of sociology, our relationships, the way we're supposed to interact with others. The truth is, I know that God wanted us to stay in Topeka because of the relationships we had with other Christians and with family members. That's why he wanted us here. And so for 30 years, I felt like I can't leave. Why can't you leave? Because I'm tied in with all these people I feel responsible for. So even though I try to get to Colorado every summer because I want to get back to the mountains, the place I'd love to live. But on the flip side, I realize God's plugged us in here because it's the relationships at the end of the day that matter. He's blessed us in that. And I think he's turned that around and also used us to be a blessing to others. So just to say, sometimes God's call is get up and go. And other times God's call is stay put. Cultivate faithfulness right where you're at. And that's been God's call on my life and on Cass and on our families. So it's not that it's one or the other. It's hard to say in everybody's life it'll be a little different. God will call you, but... But when He calls, we want to answer. This is the last Sunday of 2009, last week. There's not a full week left of the year. So just as we wind down, do an exercise in your own mind. Look back on 2009 and ask yourself, in what ways did God call me this last year? What did God talk to me about in 2009? When I look back and I knew God wanted me to do some specific things... Or God told me not to do some specific things. Sometimes God's call is get involved. Sometimes it's get out. As you look back in 2009, what were God's calls? In what ways did God say, this is what I want from you or this is what I want you to get away from or out of? What did those look like? What were they? That's the first question. And the second then is, how did you respond to God's call? How did you respond? Did your response look like Abram's? You know, was it immediate? Did you sort of parse it out so that you have contingency plans in case you get a better offer later? How did God call? What were His commands in 2009 for you? And how did you respond? What does that look like last week of the year? And then look forward Into 2010, what are the plans in your life? What are you planning to do with your life such that in 2010 you can hear God's call and you can respond to God's call? You can hear God's call and respond to God's call. For instance, are you in the scriptures daily? Are you in the Scriptures daily? If God's going to call me, if He's going to talk to me, if He's going to give me a command to follow, you know, normally, it's out of the pages of His Word. So that if I want to hear God's call, I should be in the place where He tends to speak, most clearly, most often. That would be the pages of the Bible. So if I want to set myself up in 2010 to be able to hear from God, hear His call, hear His command. I need to put myself in a place where I'm likely to hear Him. So, am I in the Scriptures daily? Because more often than not, that's the forum in which God will speak to us from the Scriptures, His Word. Am I in the Scriptures daily? Along with that, am I in prayer daily? Prayer is a word that most Christians sort of hate. um, We feel guilty about we say we don't pray enough. When we say pray, we're just talking about talking to God. So sometimes that's talking to God about the things that are going on in our life at the time. Sometimes that's talking to God about other people who have needs. But it doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to feel judgmental when we say, are we praying daily? And related to hearing God's call, I think prayer is important in this sense. If I'm in the Scriptures and I think God's speaking to me about something particular and I'm not sure, you know what I do? I pray about it. I say, Lord, this is what I think I'm hearing. Is this you? And as I pray and as I turn those things over in my mind, just between God and myself, I often get a sense that God's saying, yes, that is me or no, that's not me. You've got it wrong. I mull it over. I talk to the Lord about it in prayer. Are you in prayer daily? So that you can sort of assess the sense you have that God's calling or that he's commanding. And another thing is this, the third one. Are you in relationship, do you have fellowship with other Christians who know you well enough that if you came to them and said, I believe God wants me to pick up my family, my possessions, all that I have and move to another country, do you have fellowship with other Christians, know you well enough that they give you an honest feedback and say, yeah, I, I think God's in it or I think you're crazy? You know, in Abram's case, it's quite clear he knew God had spoken. But for most of us, we're not as clear. And so to have other Christians that we can bounce that off of and say, would you pray for me? This is what I'm thinking about. If they know you and they know you well and they're praying with you about that thing, you will probably get good feedback that will tend to confirm that that's God's call and God's command or that it's not. But you shouldn't be afraid to be able to share that with other Christians. If, you don't, if you're don't, if you not in the Scriptures regularly, if you're not praying regularly, and if you don't have fellowship with others who know you well enough to give you this kind of feedback, hearing from God clearly is going to be a lot harder and probably a lot less frequent. So look at 2010. Does your life, is it set up in such a way that you can hear God clearly and then respond? And as you think about the response side of this, <clears throat> what keeps you... What keeps me from answering God's call, from obeying His commands? If God lays something on you today, right now, is there any area of your life in which you'd say to God, I'm not going there? Is there something we need to give to God because we're holding it close? It's sort of our idol. God, you can have everything else but this. Have we already set ourselves up for failure here? By not saying, Lord, I'm yours, everything I have is yours. When you call, I'll answer. When you command, I'll obey. Are we holding portions of our life back and saying, Lord, anything else but not that or not this? Oftentimes, sometimes through fear, we'll say something like this. Abram could have said, I'm too old. And he was an old man when this whole thing started. He's an old man. Abram could have said I'm too old to respond to god 's call, but others could say i'm i 'm too young, and somebody might say i 'm too fat to respond to god 's call i 'm out of shape i can 't go there can 't take that long walk, but someone else might say no i'm, I'm too thin or i 'm too weak, i can't do that or god 's call in somebody 's life may be such that they say, No lord, you know i 'm not educated well enough or i don 't know enough to do that, but someone else would say, You know what' <clears throat> That call is beneath my pay grade. I'm too, too well-educated to stoop that low and do that job or answer that call. You see where this goes. When God calls, we may come up with all kinds of excuses why we shouldn't be the ones to do that, why God should go knock on somebody else's door. Thanks, Lord, but no thanks. Typically, we already know what those excuses are. I think when we say no thanks to God, <clears throat> we're like those little guys up in the tree sniggering away. See, God set a table. Lunch is being served. And if we'll answer the call, we get to come down. We get to sit down with our dad. We get to enjoy lunch together. And maybe we get to invite our friends to that same lunch table too. But we think we have it so good hiding up in that tree that we don't answer the call. And so we miss out on the table God set, on the fellowship we'd have, and on the means of which we would end up being a blessing to others as well. I am thrilled that Caleb Bertel is headed to Haiti. When I've talked to Kayla, this probably goes back two or three years. Kayla, what do you want to do? You know, I'm not sure, but I'm thinking about orphans. And at the time, I thought, wow, (laughs) how bold. And and I was thinking, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, as the years have gone by, it's been pretty consistent. And and she's going back, and she's testing the water. She's seeing if this is God's call in her life. I love this. And we've got ten people from the church heading out in less than two weeks. I think they are answering God's call to go help out in another orphanage in Haiti. And you know, God will bless them for going, for answering and going. And God will use them to bless others as well there, the staff and the orphans there as well. Uh, a few of our daughters are taken off at the same time the Haiti trip takes off. They're headed to another part of the country, entirely new. They, they haven't even seen the house they're moving into, they, they've never been there, they haven't even been closed. But you know what, I'm convinced as we've prayed and we've waited on God, we've talked about moves in the past, I'm convinced God's in the details. This is God's call. This is God opening a new chapter in their life. People often say, oh, gosh, what are you and Kathy going to do? You know what? <clears throat> we got plenty to do. We had f- Plenty to do before, kids? We're going to have plenty to do now. We'll miss them on one hand, but, you know, it's all, it's all good. It's all up. It's a new chapter for them and for us. But so much of life gets down to this, the two verses. God called and Abram answered. God commanded and Abram obeyed. And guys, if our theology rose no higher than that, we'd be in good shape. In fact, we'd be in better shape than most Christians in the church today. God calls, I answer. God says, Junior, go do this and and I go do that. We'd be in good shape. We'd be deep Christians because we'd be hanging out with our father. We'd be spiritual, we'd be growing, we'd be thriving, we'd be a blessing to others as well. So, as you think about your life right now, and as you look into the year 2010, how is God calling you? What's He calling you to? How is He calling you? Will we walk in the steps of Abraham? Or say no thanks? Will we answer God's call? Will we sit at the table He sets for us? And will we we be the blessing he means us to be to others around us? Lord, thanks that in all of life you are the great initiator. Lord, we tend to come to you with plans of our own making, all kinds of great thoughts, things we think things should be, plans we want you to stamp for us. And yet at the end of the day, Lord, I know that it's your plans that stand. And that if there's something good occurring, if life is occurring, Lord, it's because you have stepped in. You've taken the initiative. You've called. God, give us the grace and the wisdom, the humility and the faith to answer when you call. And Lord, help us to obey in all the little ways that help us say yes to you when you make the big requirement or tell us to pick up and transfer to other places. Lord, help us not to minimize that the call is to both the big and the small things of life. Help us to be faithful with little and faithful with much. And Lord, if we have regrets in 2009 for the way we've responded to your leadership, help us just to give that to you, to confess that failure, and to start over gladly again. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you like Abram did. Help us to hear your call clearly. Help us to answer it immediately, Lord.